Welcome to the latest podcast from the Plastic Surgery Journal Club. Each month we review an appraiser journal article, typically from PRS, and summarize it for you in this podcast. The full journal can be obtained from the PRS website. Okay, welcome back to the June 2017 Plastic Reconstructive Surgery Journal Club coming to you from Sydney, Australia. My name is Damien Marucci. I'm here with Dr. Shiv Chopra. The next paper is Breast Cancer After Augmentation, Oncologic and Reconstructive Considerations Among Women Undergoing Mastectomy. This is from Durham, North Carolina and Philadelphia. Uh, and it is it was published in the June 2017 PRS. So Shiv, what was this paper about? So this was looking at the impact of prior augmentation on the diagnosis and management of breast cancer in women undergoing mastectomy. So those that uh, presented to the Duke campus in North Carolina. And as I mentioned before, that it's fairly relevant because nearly 300,000 women undergo augmentation in the United States alone, and it's the most common surgical, cosmetic surgical procedure. So uh, the safety of breast implants um, has been well studied and looked at, showing that there isn't a link, but still there is concerns linking uh, implants. Uh, and also more the fact that that might delay mammographic detection uh, and specifically those that undergo a subganglia implant. So what they did was they retrospectively reviewed all the women that presented to Duke with a breast cancer um, diagnosis for mastectomy and looked to see uh, for a history of prior breast augmentation. And so they looked at patients between 1993 to 2014 and reviewed their history of augmentation and controlled those against women of all age less than 70 with no history of augmentation with a new diagnosis of invasive or in situ breast cancer and undergoing a mastectomy. And they just looked at one year period and that was just 2010 compared to the retrospective uh, cohort uh, between that uh, 11 year period and they looked at patient characteristics how the cancer was detected and at what stage what treatment they had and then they also looked at the reconstruction following the mastectomy to see if subgandular or subpectoral had uh, a role to play with the patient's um, rehabilitation uh, after reconstruction they go into quite nicely how um, the subglandular and subpectoral implants are placed and the technique there, um, as well as the variable types of implants that could be used. Um, and as I said, they looked at the patient demographics, the augmentation details, and their cancer history and reconstruction options afterwards. And uh, so what did they find in terms of the incidence or the differences between the uh, subglandular and subpectoral uh, augmentation patient who subsequently developed uh, breast cancer? So um, they found that the majority of the patients that they, f- um, that they looked at, the majority had subpectoral implants, 63 compared to 27 undergoing subglandular, with five of those they didn't get a clear history on the placement at the time. Um, they found that breast cancer stage at diagnosis and detection method didn't differ with patients with or without prior augmentation. 
And by detection methods, are we talking about whether it's detected uh, through self-examination or mammographically? Or mammographically, yep. yeah. But they, when comparing the augmentation, they found that uh, subglandular was associated with a more invasive breast cancer than ductal carcinoma. And with that cohort, the detection by self-palpation um, was uh, greater than a screening mammography as well. And how about in terms of subsequent reconstruction? Uh, how did the previous subglandular or subpetrol augmentation affect the success or otherwise of their ultimate reconstruction? So looking at their reconstruction, and most women preferred to have an implant-based reconstruction with their cohort, they found that subglandular, there was a slightly higher rate of infection rate, so those having to undergo um, a, um, a course of antibiotics or an implant loss as well compared to subpectoral pockets that were made um, prior for their augmentation. But when they looked at uh, those uh, subglandular or subpectoral patients uh, that underwent reconstruction with ADM, a cellular dermal matrix, or had an autologous reconstruction, they didn't find uh, any association link there. Okay, so what do people think, think about this study? So um, they, they thought it was um, really quite interesting to, to, to see that there was an association with subglandular um, and uh, the different type of, of cancer that's detected and again the modality being detected uh, as well. And it's a large centre uh, for um, a single centre for mastectomy with a very good analysis. And the thing that we all appreciated the most was actually how fair they were with their addressing their limitations at the end. Because it was uh, a retrospective review, they, they knew that they would have a bias there and that the patients presenting to Duke for reconstruction options, because it's a large centre that specialises in that, you're going to get patients with a certain um, advanced case or, or scenario compared, compared to others. Yep. There are also a lot of uh, good things uh, sort of in the discussion where they go through uh, uh, the fact that uh, subglandular implants uh, basically obscure the mammographic visualisation of at least 39% of breast tissue compared with 28% of breast tissue with subpectoral implants and then that figure uh, is even worse in patients who have significant, whether it's uh, Baker grade 3 or 4, mm. capsular contracture. Um, and that was certainly uh, something that we need to keep in mind um, in terms of the ongoing breast cancer screening for previously augmented patients uh, whether we need to be increasingly vigilant or use other modalities uh, such as MRI. Thank you for listening. For more of our podcasts, head to soundcloud.com or subscribe to us on iTunes and search Plastic Surgery Journals. Remember to like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter. Thanks also to the PRS Journal team for their ongoing support.